Well, good morning, Life Point. I hope you are doing well. Um, my name is Dean. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are grateful that you're with us today. You're joining us in week number three of a series called Kingdom Values, where we're looking at the big idea every week that living in the kingdom means giving towards the things that matter. Now, if you are a member, a regular attender, you've been hanging around uh, for a while, I would encourage you to get your smartphone out right now. Make sure you've got the latest version of the LifePoint app Download it, and I would ask you to do that for a few reasons. Number one, at the bottom of the message notes today, which if you open up the app, click on notes at the bottom, click on today, um, there are questions that are there uh, just uh, for engagement, maybe with family, friends, with your kids in the context of family discipleship that you can use as we move through the series. The second thing that's an update for you is that now the Drivecast, which is a five-day-a-week, five-to-seven-minute podcast from all of our teaching pastors across all of our campuses, kind of summarizing uh, what they taught, how they looked at the content that day. And then it's a prayer opportunity that we offer every day. It's right there on the front page uh, of the app uh, for you as well. If you are a guest, we are so grateful that you're here with us. The thing that we would ask for from you, if you would take out your smartphone, open up your camera app and point it at one of the QR codes on one of the chairs that's in front of you, or type in lpguest.com into your web browser. Those go to the same place and uh, you can do that. The same message notes are available uh, there to you, and there's a digital guest card available. If you'll take less than a minute and fill that out. There are five ministries listed there that we're already partnered with. You choose the one that is closest to you. We'll make an additional $5 donation to that ministry um, in your honor. Just by letting us know that you're here today, we'll give you the opportunity to make a difference uh, in, somebody else's, in somebody else's life. And kingdom values, and we're talking about that, we talk about that word kingdom, right? So we say that the kingdom of God is his eternal spiritual ruling authority over everything. It's eternal, which means it's here now. It's not just out in the future. I think that's why Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what's going on in heaven right now, we wanna bring as much of heaven into earth right now by living via the kingdom. It's spiritual authority. So he's shepherding all the things that come into our lives, both good and bad towards his eternal purposes. Nothing in our lives um, is, gonna be, is gonna be wasted um, at all. So we're talking about, in light of the fact that God is this king ruling his kingdom, what are the things that we should value? Um, I've been, uh, over the past year or so, I've written a couple of letters back and forth with a man who had a lot of influence on my life whenever I was in high school. And he shared with me a story. He has a, a granddaughter whenever she was five years old. Her name is Danny, and um, they, uh, they live down south. So... Um, they were in their church um, on Sunday, one Sunday, and Danny is a very verbal five-year-old. She likes to talk and chatter um, a lot, and that particular day, she was not doing well in church. Um, so she was talking, chattering, talking, chattering, and her mom couldn't, couldn't keep her quiet, and so her mom wanted to go out into the lobby and discuss this reality during the service, right? So she looks at Danny, and she says, we're going. So she kind of grabs her by the hand and stands up. You know, mom's a little bit frustrated and they're walking out. And Danny anticipated at five years old that this was going to be a very difficult conversation. <laughs> so in a very quiet church service, little five-year-old Danny yells out, please pray for me. <laughs> so <laughs> this morning we are going to look at one of those please pray for me uh, moments in the life of Jesus that comes up in Mark chapter 
uh, 12. Now, Jesus is perilously close to getting to the cross when you get to Mark chapter 12. He, um, he's been interacting with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We're going to refer to them as a group this morning. These are what we would call the teachers of the law. And as a matter of fact, in Mark 12, Jesus says about them, not just about them, but to them, with them in the crowd. He says, they love long flowing robes and they love formal greetings. In other words, they love attention and they love recognition. But Jesus says, listen, they don't really wanna be noble people. They just, they just want to act in noble ways. As a matter of fact, here's what he says in Mark chapter 12 in verse 40. He says, they, being the teachers of the law, devour widows' houses for a show and they make lengthy prayers. Now, when he says they devour widows' houses, what he's referring to um, is that when, a, uh, when a, uh, the head of a household in Hebrew times, whenever, if a guy would die um, and he would leave his wife as a widow, he kind of left her in a really tough spot. In their culture, um, a widow wasn't able to earn income really outside of the family in a very effective manner. And sometimes if she had young children, she had to provide for them uh, in that same scenario. So instead of the teachers of the law coming alongside and helping widows, they did just the opposite. A lot of times maybe um, they owned a family farm, an agricultural bit, and if the kids were too young to work, or maybe there was a lien against uh, their property, maybe a, a loan. Instead of coming alongside the widows and saying, hey, how can we help you until your kids are old enough to help you run the farm, run the family land, how can we, instead of doing that, they were opportunists, these teachers of the law. And they would call the loan, they would take the property from the widow and basically leave her uh, penniless and leave her kids penniless in a lot of uh, a lot of situations. And so Jesus says, look, they're, they're the kind of people, they devour widows' houses. They're, they're filling their own pockets by taking advantage of these widows. They're, they're filling their own pockets at the expense um, of other people. So here's what he says then the second half of that verse in verse 40. These men will be punished most severely. So Jesus is saying that these teachers of the law, that they are intending harm. Now, I've said to you before, but it's always good for me to say it periodically uh, to you that um, I'm so blessed to serve here, to be able to be your pastor. I'm very grateful for it. And at the same time, I'm very imperfect. If you stay around long enough, you hang around here long enough, I'm gonna say something you disagree with. I'm probably gonna say something that's hurt your feelings. Uh, I'm gonna make a decision that you disagree with. And I'm grateful for how you hang in there during those times and during those seasons because I'm, I'm imperfect. But we deal with people all of the time, right? We're all imperfect. So we deal with people in these realities all of the time. But it's different when you are intending harm. And that's what Jesus accuses. So you know these teachers of the law, like they're frustrated, they're embarrassed, right? That Jesus is, is teaching this about them. But the reality is God's heart for widows was expressed throughout the Old Testament. God made special, um, special um, uh, amendments to the law so that the widows would specially be cared for, specially taken care of. And these things were being, they were just being ignored. And being a widow in our world today is not easy, male or female. You lose a life partner, someone that you've invested relationship with. Sometimes, um, you know, you're walking through the grief. That's why we have you know, a life group like Grief Share that's meeting uh, this morning, right? Helping people walk through those stages and steps of losing someone that you love. Like I said, sometimes you don't just lose your partner, but you immediately become a single parent. It's just difficult, difficult realities. 
And so in Mark 12, what happens after Jesus says this in teaching, the scene shifts, Jesus and his disciples, they go to the temple and they're in the court of women. Now you remember about the temple in the Old Testament, it was segregated, right? There was the court of the Gentiles, there was the court of women, there was the court of men, there was the court of priests. And this whole idea was a reminder to us uh, by God that this is how people would live in fallen, broken world. After Genesis 3, sin's introduced into the world, that people are going to divide themselves, they're going to constantly segregate themselves, there'll be racial issues, there'll be gender issues, that all of that's coming, but it was all set up. It was a setup to Ephesians chapter two that says that when Christ came, he broke down the dividing walls, dividing races, dividing uh, biological genders, that God wanted to make us all one unified body. The reality that would come that we were all flawed, all broken by sin, which puts us all in the same spot. And that means we all have equal need of Christ. But the reason the scene shifts here to the court of women is because that's where the temple treasury was. Um, i.e. for us, if you've been around here for a while, we have offering boxes, right? They're on both doors whenever you leave. That's what this is, the temple treasure. This is where people came to make their offerings. And so here's what happens um, in, verse, uh, in verse 41. And Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched a crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins only worth a few cents calling his disciples to him Jesus said truly I tell you this poor widow has put more into the treasury um, than all than all of the others the disciples and Jesus observe a contrast there are people who um, the text says gave out of their wealth it really has the word um, surplus or leftovers in other words Jesus says hey there's a lot of people who've come in today who have given a lot, but they're giving out of what's left over, out of surplus. In other words, they're living their lives or doing whatever afternoon, whatever's left over, they give some of that. But he says, I'm telling you that this widow comes through and historically in church history, we've called, uh, we've, we've called these the widow's mites. Um, I'll show you a picture um, up behind me of a couple of coins that in their world, those were the two small coins. I actually have a, uh, an actual widow's mite up here from Israel and it's very hard to see and that's kind of the point uh, of the whole thing, right? She comes through with only two very small, the lowest of the low currency and she drops those into the temple treasury and Jesus says that she gave more than everybody else who came and gave out of their surplus or out of their leftovers. Now, obviously he's making a point here because that's, I mean, the text says that other people actually gave more in total. So how does this woman, how does this poor widow, under-resourced and marginalized as she was, how does she give more than people who actually gave more? This widow understood a couple of secrets. They're gathered around two words that I will use um, for us today are the words are priority and percentage. She understood a secret or two secrets about living a blessed life. Here's how Jesus explains it in the first half of verse 44. He says, they all gave out of their wealth. So the blessed life, it's got this principle um, of priority. This idea that you don't just spend everything on you, right? But that God comes first. 
because he gives us everything that we have. So we give back to him first out of the ways that he provides for us. That's what we sang about um, earlier. That's why we say, man, I'm gonna stand. I'm gonna stand my ground in faith because of what God has done for me. I think this widow knew about another widow in the Old Testament, a very well-known 1 Kings uh, chapter 17. There's a place, a small town called Zarephath. There's a widow who's living there and her very, very young son. There's a severe drought going on uh, during that time. And so she's got a little bit of flour uh, left in a jar and a little bit of oil, enough just to make one last cake. And that's all they've got. So she's going out to gather up wood to make the last fire, to make the last cake. That's gonna be the last supper, really. It's gonna be their last meal before it is her intention that she and her young son are gonna die. While she's out uh, gathering up sticks, firewood, she runs into the prophet Elijah. And Elijah uh, greets the woman, says to her, hey, could I have a drink? Now, in the middle of a drought, that's no small task, right? That's no small thing to say, hey, could you get me, give me just a little bit, something to drink? And, um, you know, I'm sure the widow was like, I don't have, I don't have anything, what are you? but he's a Hebrew prophet. So she says, sure, I'll see what little resources we have left and I'll, I'll find you a drink. And while she's walking away, he says, hey, and could you make a cake for me um, as well? And if you were here last week, we talked about the me monster, right? The person that's a me, myself, and I, me, myself, the person's always focused on, and you're like, man, Elijah's kind of like the me monster, right? I mean, like, he's like, hey, why don't you give me something to drink? Why don't you give me something to eat? But this scenario is different. There are times where God asks people to do uncomfortable things by faith. I'm gonna say that to you again. There are times where God asks people, not just people in the Bible, but people are here today, you and me, to do uncomfortable things by faith. And this widow turns around and she starts giving it to Elijah. Like, she's like, listen, you don't know my circumstances. You don't know my situation. And I wanna read just a little snippet of what, of what she says to him. She says, as surely as the Lord your God, and do you notice that? As surely as the Lord your, they don't worship Yahweh in Zarephath. They worship Baal. She does not know Yahweh. She says, listen, as surely as the Lord your God lives. She explains the whole scenario to Elijah. She's like, you're asking me for a drink. And now you're asking me for a cake. I'm about to go make our last meal. And here's how Elijah responds in verse 13 of 1 Kings 17. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But what's the next word? Key word. Say it with me on three. One, two, three. Come on. One, two, three. First. But first. It's a word of priority. But first. Make a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, bring, uh, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. We're like, well, how she can make something for herself and her son? Because she doesn't have any more, right? It's only one cake. This is one cake deal. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, an uncomfortable thing by faith. And she and, and, she and he and her household ate for many days, and the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word that the Lord, uh, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken by um, by Elijah. So Elijah says, here's what we're gonna do. <clears throat> he says, go make the cake. Make a cake for me first. And Yahweh promises that the jar will never run out. 
and you read through the narrative and it's exactly what happens. For the rest of this season of drought, day after day after day, she goes back and there's enough flour and there's enough oil and God provides and provides and provides. And the big deal, the big deal is not so much the cake and the oil and the water. The big deal is that Yahweh is not just Elijah's God now, right? He has become a God of faithfulness to this widow and to her son because God provides enough. Remember what we said last week? We have enough because he is enough. And so God provides enough for us. So the question that leaves me with, the question that leaves you with, I think, is what kind of jar would you rather? Would you rather have a jar that's full that's based on your capacity to fill the jar? Or would you rather have a jar that's got enough based on a God who, provi- who promises, I will provide for you according to, what, to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus? How does that happen? It happens because we make God priority in our lives. I'm I'm asking you to imagine a different kind of life in regards to your resources. One where you pay off debts early, one where you save, one where you're able as you age to be wildly generous with the resources that God gives you. It's joyful, it's a joyful way to live. It's a life where we can do three things. We can live appropriately, save wisely, and give generously. How do we do that in relation to this word priority? I'll tell you how it works its way out in our family. We are blessed. We are blessed as a family to to receive a salary in the context of our pastoral uh, vocation. And so the way that that works for us is we're paid twice a month, the 15th of the month and then the 30th, 31st, whatever the end of the month is. And I've just got it auto-drafted out of our bank that the first thing that we do is that we give back out of a sense of priority. Even in the early days of life, when we were 14 people in a living room back in 2004, even in the early days where, um, you know, Troy, Shane, and I and our families, we had to delay payroll at times because there wasn't enough money to pay salaries. Even in those moments, right, we want to say, God, we're going to put you first because you are our priority. But not just that, not just priority. There's a second word at the end of uh, at the end of verse 44. Jesus says this, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all uh, that she had to live on. So the blessed um, life also has this idea of percentage. What I don't think you and I can do is look at the narrative of the life of the widow and immediately interpret or apply that to it. What happened in the widow's life does not mean that you and I have to give everything that we've got. However, what I do believe we see in her is that because she had priority, the scriptures broadly, largely give us percentage. We talked about it last week, Malachi chapter three, verse 10. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse and see, God says, see, if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing on you. Now, it's not a get rich quick scheme, right? It's not a financial formula, but what God says is that when you make me the priority, when you give back to me as kind of the foundation for generosity, when you give back to me 10% in priority, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna bless your life in innumerable, innumerable kinds of ways. And so we talked about last week, 
when that happens, when you participate in generosity, even, even here at the context of a local church, I would encourage you to go to our website, encourage you to go to click on the give button. You'll see a button in the middle of the page here that, sees, that says, see what your giving supports. You can look at all the things in our annual report from last year, um, all the places that we're partnered. We talked about some of those last week um, around the world and some that are here, here locally. But one of the other things we talked about is moving forward next year in our vision to create an enhanced digital platform to help us help other churches, some in rural scenarios, some in church planting um, scenarios. And as I was thinking and, uh, and praying about that, I was thinking about for me uh, personally, and I kind of shared with you a little bit last week about my background growing up um, in Southern Ohio. So I wanna show you a picture of a random church pew um, from a little church um, in Southern Ohio. And I shouldn't call it random because really it's not that random to me. That was the church pew that I was sitting in the night that I came to faith in Christ, not quite yet a teenage boy, sitting in Guyan Valley uh, Church. Like I said, not yet a teenage boy, it was just a couple of years ago. Um, and I was sitting there in that pew. So here's what happened the night that I came to know Christ. It was January 21st, 1981, Monday night. Um, it was a revival uh, service. They'd just gotten a new pastor at this little church that my dad grew up in. So he was part-time pastor, full-time steel worker. Um, his name was Omar Rucker, right? And so he gets to the end of the message. I cannot even tell you what the message was um, that night, but he gets to the end and he goes through the invitation and nothing happens uh, during the invitation. And so we're on about the 12th verse of just as I am, right? Every head bowed, every eye closed, right? In the invitation moment and he makes a statement he says maybe somebody's here tonight if you're not a Christian I want you to raise your hand and I hadn't yet made a profession of faith so dummy me I raised my hand I'd been thinking about Jesus I'd been thinking about taking this step so I raised my hand and he said sure just raise your hand so I can pray for you and I raised my hand and before I knew it Omar Rucker had gotten up off the platform. He had walked all the way back and he was standing right. And I didn't know it because I had every head bowed and every eye closed, right? I wasn't looking. And he puts his hand on my hand. I must've jumped a foot and he said, son. And I looked up at him. He said, son, don't you want to come and trust Jesus tonight? He said, I'll tell you what, if you want to come, I'll walk with you. And I looked at him and I said, I want to come. So I walk up with Pastor Omar Rucker. We kneel down at the altar at the front of that church. I'll show you a picture here of me and my dad standing by the altar in that little church. And the reason I show you the picture of my dad because I kneel down to pray. And all of a sudden, while I'm praying, I feel somebody beside me. And it's my dad on his knees, same altar. And the amazing thing there is that it was at that same altar, not the same building because the old building had burnt, but it was the same altar. They had um, held on to the wood, the old altar out of the old building where my dad's dad knelt beside him and prayed to receive Christ. Same altar, same kind of spot space right there in the middle. I thought about this last year. I thought, shame on me. I, I've never reached out to Omar Rucker that old pastor, part-time pastor, full-time steel worker. So I looked him up, tried to find him on Facebook, couldn't find him and found out that he has actually passed, he had actually passed away uh, a decade earlier, but I found his son. So I reached out to his son who now lives in Georgia, told him my story of coming to, to faith in Christ. And I wanna just read to you what, uh, what his son wrote back to me. 
He said, so good to hear. Dad was confused about his time there, always wondered why God put him there. He never really saw the fruit of it, but he followed through the confusion. Aren't you grateful for people who follow through the confusion? Aren't you grateful for people who follow when they don't see the fruit and they show up week after week after week and they declare and they proclaim a gospel with their words and with their lives that is in alignment with Christ? When I took the pictures um, of me and my dad in that pew a couple years ago, that church had not had a pastor for three or four months at that time handful of folks, we are going to be able, I believe, to help churches in rural settings and scenarios just like this one. So what I'm asking you to consider, regular attenders and members here, I'm asking you to consider filling out a Kingdom Values commitment card to let us know what your planned generosity, your planned giving is over the next year to our church. Because it will help us plan for what we believe, how we're going to be able to accomplish God's vision over the next year. You can find that card. It's linked in the message notes. Today, if you're looking at the message notes, it's available on the front page of the website. There's a pop-up that'll come in the bottom right corner if you just go to lifepointohio.com. And just like I said last week, some of you have been sacrificing for the vision of our church, giving generously for years and years and years. And I'm so grateful for it. And we're not trying to say, hey, we need you to sacrifice even more. I do, I do. I'm asking you to fill out a card alongside everybody else. But really for some of you who are newer, for just maybe you've come in the last year or two years, according to our financial director, Martha Huff, about 30% of folks who are regular attenders and members here are not participating in living um, in generosity. So we're asking you to come along. God has made us one body, given us one vision that's coming from him. We're asking you to step into that reality, into this moment so we can help and bless others. Angie and I, we've already filled our card out. Our staff team, they've already filled out um, their commitment cards. And you can join us in the process of being a blessing globally and locally. But I also wanna, I wanna say this about our vision for next year. It's not, just about, it's not just about reaching adults, but it's also about reaching students. It's amazing to me what God has done in our student ministry here over the past few years. We have four to five times as many students attending now as we did just a couple of years. We moved into this building a year ago and we built what we called the student room. And almost immediately from moving into this building, our Sunday night student gathering has already outgrown that. They now meet in here. You can clap for that. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, man, when we were gathering students and when we were prayerful, it's amazing what, what God is doing in the lives um, of our students, so grateful for our students, so grateful um, for, for our student leaders. But think about students who are other places. You know, this morning at the end of the service today, we're gonna have baptisms. And at the 11 o'clock service, um, at the 11 o'clock service, we'll have the opportunity this morning to baptize Ryan. Now, Ryan um, is a, I believe he's a corporal, I think, 
in the Marine, joined the Marines uh, 12 to 18 months ago. But Ryan started coming to church here with his mom, Erica, who was a single mom. They started coming here whenever Ryan was in middle school, right? So he grew up here. Um, I think Dave was one of his middle school leaders, um, making investments in him. He got into high school and like some high school students, he would come some, not come some. He would come C3 weekends. He was part uh, of those kinds of things. Um, but as he ages out and heads off to the Marines, he has this moment in boot camp, I'm assuming, things wouldn't happen. In boot camp, where all those little spiritual deposits from middle school and high school, they all, the Spirit of God just brings all of that together to bear. And Ryan makes a profession of faith in Christ. But the interesting thing is, it's not just that Ryan has made a profession of faith. He decided if God's done that in his life, that why wouldn't God wanna do that in the lives of all of the other soldiers who are part of his platoon? So he started a Bible study in his platoon and now the people in his, the other soldiers in his platoon, they refer to him as chaplain, right? So we have the opportunity this morning to get to baptize someone who we have seen grow up here at our church, who I'm sure over time, I want you to just think about, think about Ryan's leaders, right? I'm sure there were times when he was in middle school and Dave was like, oh my gosh, this kid's driving me crazy, right? He's not, he's not paying attention to what we're saying. He's not, he's not getting it. I'm sure the C3 leaders, right, who were trying to corral him on the, on the weekend. He probably, you know, like other uh, high school boys, probably was more interested in the video games than he was in the, probably, this kid's not listening to anything, but his soul could not not listen, right? because the scripture says that God's word will not return void, that every one of those little deposits made and made and made and made were just working their way deep down until God brought that moment to bear where all of that starts to grow up now in faith in him. So think about a couple of things. How many Ryans are out there right now? How many Ryans are out there right now just waiting on someone? Locally? and maybe in other places in our state who don't have a student ministry who could potentially join us virtually from where they are. And then I think about Ryan's student leaders and how grateful I am that they were willing to follow through the, we have incredible student leaders that show up, it's not Sunday night, after Sunday night, after Sunday night, and sometimes the kids are engaged and sometimes they're not engaged and sometimes they show up and they're excited and sometimes they don't show up at all, but our leaders just show up and show up and show up and show up. We are incredibly, incredibly blessed. So I think about that. But then I think also this morning in our 11 o'clock uh, service, we're gonna get to baptize Madeline. And Madeline is a young gal who came to know Christ recently in LifePoint Kids. And that's not that unusual. We have kids who come to know Christ um, in LifePoint Kids on a regular basis. But here's what's unusual. That when God brought to bear all of the work and the seeds that have been planted in Madeline's life, that morning in LifePoint Kids, it was Anna and Paige who were leading Madeline's group. Anna and Paige are two of our high school students. So two of our high school students got to lead one of our older elementary students to Christ. Come on now, are you kidding me? I'm, 
I am so sick and tired of hearing all the young people today. They don't care about God. They don't, they're so lazy. Listen, we don't set the bar that low around here to complaining, right? We wanna raise the spiritual bar as high as we can for our young people. And then we get to see them in moments like these say, you know what, I'm gonna step, I can share the gospel. I can share faith, what God has done in me with somebody who's younger than me and I can help them come along in faith. You know what I thought this week? I thought, man, I wish, I wish I could sit down with Omar Rucker, that part-time preacher, full-time steelworker. I wish I could sit down and tell him about Anna and Paige and Madeline. And I wish I could tell him about Ryan and our student leaders and all of the things that while years and years and years ago, he was willing to follow through the confusion that there's, there's at least one guy, there's a pastor in Delaware, Ohio, that is incredibly grateful. And then I had the next thought. He knows. Because his faith has become sight. And someday, someday you will know and I will know about the opportunities that we have taken to live in generosity, to follow through the confusion, to say to God, you are the priority. You are the king of our lives. So I'm gonna pray for us. And then this morning during the 9.30 service, we, uh, we had the opportunity to baptize uh, five people. We got uh, Jeremiah and Jennifer, a husband and a wife, are coming to be baptized this morning. Uh, we have uh, Reagan and Bela and Caden, all from different, some from Life Point Kids, some from the context of family discipleship. Uh, one of them was led to Christ by her teacher uh, at school. God, thank you for uh, godly teachers um, who are reaching out and ministering uh, to students. We have the opportunity this morning to experience the joy. Listen, this is full jar living that God has given to us to participate in, to see his activity, to become, to become one body.